We continue this morning our study in the book of Mark. We are going to extend our study right through the end of the year. And at the beginning of the new year, we're going to do something where we're going to be challenging our congregation to read through or listen to the entire Bible. And we have plans to make that easy for you, but also something that will make a difference in our lives because one of the things we want to do is to get to know God's Word better. It serves as a foundation of all that we do as a church. If you have your Bibles with you, I do invite you to look at Mark chapter 12. And if you have a Bible that is a red-letter edition, that means that when you come to the words of Jesus in the New Testament, they're put in red letters. And sometimes people find that helpful. It's not that we have a canon inside of a canon, meaning that, that the words of Jesus are somehow Scripture and the others aren't, but we like to pull out Jesus' words at time and hear what he has to say. And so I'm calling my message this morning Red Letter Message because rather than making points, I'm just going to use Jesus' words for each of our points. So we're going to look at how we live our lives and how Jesus helps us to what I would call get it. Ever been in a situation where you're like, I just don't get it? Like it's not making sense? When I think of that, I think of the movie Big. Do we have any Tom Hanks fans here in our congregation this morning? Okay, well, Big was one of my favorite movies, and I liked when Tom Hanks plays this kid named Josh, and he desires to be big. He wants to, he's just a short boy who's not tall enough to go on a particular ride at a fair, and there's a thing called the Zoloft there that he makes a wish that he could be big, and of course, the next morning, instead of being a 12-year-old boy, he's now an adult-sized human being, Tom Hanks as an adult, but he's still a 12-year-old boy. And there's a great moment, my favorite moment in in the movie, is he goes to now work for a toy company, which, of course, his kid thinks is amazing. Even though he's an adult, he's still a kid and nothing better than going in and having an opportunity to to be on the, the making end of toys and see the toys that are being made there. And he's invited into the executive board meeting where there's a great discussion on the next toy that's going to be made. And a guy gets up and he makes a presentation with all kinds of graphs and and market analysis and pages and he hands it out to everybody and explains how this next toy is just going to make an amazing amount of money because it's a big skyscraper that turns into a robot and Josh you see at that point is playing with the skyscraper and looks up and says I don't get it and people like what do you mean you don't get it he goes what's fun about a skyscraper He goes, there's a lot of robots that turn into things. Like you could take a robot and turn it into a bug and that would be fun. And he completely takes over the the entire meeting because all of a sudden it becomes apparent that adults don't really get kids' toys, do we? Like there's these new little squishy pillow things that my granddaughter wants. I don't get it. But they're in all the stores and she gets it and she loves them and she brings them to me and has names for them. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm not a kid. Well, Josh was a kid and he got something that the adults didn't get. When I think of our Christian faith, it's much like that. The problem is we often miss the kingdom of God. We miss it. It's in our midst. It's in our lives. It's in interactions we have with one another 
But kind of like adults trying to figure out children's toys, we miss it all over the place. And we get wonky and go in all these different directions where we somehow think that maybe I'm doing what God wants me to do, or maybe we're not even really thinking about that. And so my suggestion is we need at those times to get back to the red letters, to look at Jesus and look what he says, because Jesus gets it. Jesus helps us understand what we miss. And in Mark chapter 12, over and over, we see a disconnect between people and how they're living their lives and what they value and what they think is important versus what Jesus helps us understand about the kingdom of God. And if we are here wanting to have a better relationship with God and wanting to have a power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives so we can figure out life, we need to get back to Jesus' teaching. It's really that simple. Because so often the things we become preoccupied with are not helpful. Amen? They cause division, they cause hurt, they cause pain. And so we see a series of stories that David read to us, a parable of the tenants, the question about paying taxes, a discussion about resurrection, a question of who is Christ, a warning to be beware of religious leaders. I take that personally. I am a religious leader. We need to hear what Jesus has to say about those of us who accept the mantle of being trusted in congregations to lead people and the widow's offering. When we keep being trapped in our own thoughts and our own experience, and we think we have it all figured out, folks, we don't. Our own best thinking gets us into an awful lot of problems, amen? I'm going to say that again. Our own best thinking gets us into a lot of problems, doesn't it? Amen. And we look at this world and we get the best of human thinking and we say there must be something better and there is. And that's what Jesus offers to us. And so as we study and continue to hear who is Jesus and what he has to teach us, please let's hear this morning as we look at these different sayings of Jesus, maybe one or more of them speaks to us where we are because Jesus wants us to get it, to understand what we don't see. The first of those sayings is when Jesus said, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. It comes out of a parable that Jesus was telling. He told the story of the tenants who had a vineyard. Only they really didn't have a vineyard. They were tenants on a vineyard. They were renting a vineyard. And every year, the owner of the vineyard did what owners of vineyards do. They wanted the money for the people who were using for cost the vineyard. And the owner of the vineyard understood ownership, but the tenants really didn't. They really started to, if you look at the story, think it was theirs. Because anytime somebody came to collect any money, they're like, I'm not giving the money. And they beat the person up and think, we'll get away with it. And then finally, the son is sent, the son of the owner of the vineyard sent in, and they killed the son. It's a graphic story that certainly foreshadows the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. But it also helps us understand that there are times like them when we can forget that what we have is not permanent, and the owner's coming back, folks. Hear me loud and clear? So the Bible teaches. We can start to think we own things. We can start to think we possess things. But when we do, we're missing the kingdom of God. Because all that we own is not permanent. The one who's permanent is the one who brought us into 
existence, who spoke a word and this world was created, who tells us that the only things that are eternal are people and God's word and people and God's word. And man, we make an awful lot of other things permanent as if somehow we own them and they're ours and they're going to be around forever. This is what we do with things all the time. We forget that we're stewards, we're tenants in this life. Everything you and I have has been entrusted to us by God who owns everything. The Bible teaches he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And it's our privilege to be serving the master. A number of years ago, I had an opportunity to lead devotions with some clergy. I'm going to tell two different stories of times in which I did devotions with clergy. I realized as I was putting together the sermon why pastors don't invite me more times when we have clergy meetings to lead devotions, because both times I got in quite a bit of trouble. On this particular one, I was living in Whitensville. And I had the clergy from all of the area there, from all the different denominations, and I decided to do something on, we are all interim pastors. I don't remember the text I chose, but I remember it was something like the text we're using here, to be reminded to all of us that we don't own a church. Amen? This church is here long before Pastor Stan got here and is going to be here long after. And I tried to explain in the devotions and talking about it how we need to go through life looking like that and understanding that. To which a pastor who had been 25 years in his church got really angry with me. Now I went and checked. He's been there for another 20 years, which means he's been in that church for 45 years. And he's a good pastor. I'm not going to tell you he's not. Church has done really well. But I'll always remember how he goes, you don't get it. This is my church. I've done all this work. No, folks, it's not. Everything is not permanent for us. God's permanent. And if we're going to hear the first of why Jesus says the stone that the builders rejected is now the cornerstone, it's a reminder of that which we dismiss as permanent, which is Jesus, and that which we emphasize is so important is all the stuff that trickles through our hands. Because the first lesson, the first red-letter message we learn is every earthly thing is temporary in our lives. You hear that? Everything is temporary. How we take care of it is important. How we treat one another matters. But let's stop thinking that somehow the stuff of our life is permanent and has to become the most important thing. Then Jesus goes on and gives us a second line. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God famous saying, render unto Caesar. Here the discussion was about the Roman government. Now, how many of you like to pay taxes? How many of you just can't wait until you get to pay taxes? Like most exciting day of my life is when I get to write that final check out and pay taxes. I have no takers this morning. I didn't think I would. Well, if you think it's hard for Americans to pay taxes, try to imagine being a first century person living in Palestine in which you're not even paying taxes to your government, you're paying it to the Roman government, you want the Romans out of there, but they're coming in and they've occupied your country, they've taken it over, and now you get to pay taxes to someone else and the money is even worse than why the American Revolution took place and people are really upset by the whole thing. And one day we're told that two groups of people come and quiz Jesus, Pharisees, they're religious leaders, and they wanted the 
Roman Empire out of there because they just wanted to be able to fully practice Judaism. But then we're also told the Herodians were there. Those were the people who surrounded King Herod. They were also people who were Jewish in their religion, but they supported the government that had now been set up as sort of a puppet government under the Roman government, and they had in their best interest trying to keep everything the way it was because somehow that had made it okay for them. And so they come to Jesus and they think they finally get him. They say to him, is it okay to pay taxes to Caesar? Because whichever way Jesus was going to answer that question was going to be a problem. If he said, no, of course not, well, guess what? They were going to rush right out and tell the Romans, and here we got the guy. He's saying you don't have to obey the government. But if, on the other hand, Jesus takes a position, of course you support the government. Well, that was like the most unpopular thing that they could have happen, and that's going to cause the people who are the followers of Jesus to start doubting his leadership. So they tried to trick Jesus by quizzing him about taxes. And what Jesus did with his answer is acknowledge the, re the legitimacy of human government is imperfect as it is. Hear that, folks? Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and that which is God, that to God. Because he takes the coin that they've all been using and points out that it is a Roman coin. That the Roman government is imperfect as it is. The Roman government, with all of its flaws, still did do some good things. And did still make sure that they had water and they had roads and they had a defense. And finding fault in government isn't only something that happened with first century Judaism. It happens all over the place everywhere. We all like to think that somehow we can figure out how to create a perfect government. And what Jesus ultimately was showing is that all governments are imperfect, folks. Everyone is. You may think that you have backed the greatest candidate in the world who's going to bring the kingdom of God to America. I got news for you. It ain't going to happen. In the words of my father, every four years, Americans get together so we can elect somebody that half the country thinks the kingdom of God has come and the other half of the country thinks that everything's going to fall apart until four years later we reverse it and everybody reverses their position. And what Jesus tries to point out is we can find fault with government. Jesus could have given a lecture on all the things that were wrong with the Roman government, but that's true of all governments. Human institutions just have sin involved with them. And as long as we have human beings making the rules, yes, we can talk to the degree to which there are problems, but there is no perfect human system. Amen? I'm going to say it again, folks. There is no perfect human system. Amen? And yet we somehow get ourselves fooled into it. So finding fault with a government or our family or our work... And that's all we do. It accomplishes nothing. It gets us upset and causes problems. Failing to respect authorities, Jesus lays the foundation, means we're not trusting God. It doesn't mean I have to like. It doesn't mean I have to vote a certain way. But failing to have respect for authorities goes contrary to what Jesus is teaching us here. And the Apostle Paul goes even further in Romans chapter 13 where he talks to us about obeying governing authorities. So red letter message number two goes not only everything on earth is temporary, but every earthly power is imperfect. 
They're all human created. And they all have their problems. And therefore, as we show our respect for human authorities, we ultimately trust in God, who is perfect. And we put our allegiance with our Lord and Savior and creator of the universe. The third red-letter statement of Jesus is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Here there's two stories that I put together in Mark's chapter 12. First is a woman who married seven times. And we heard it, read a few moments ago, each time her husband dies. And now people come to Jesus and try to trick him. Who's going to own her, basically, they ask, in heaven? Go check the text. It doesn't say, who does this woman get to be married to? It says, which one of those men get to claim her as their wife? Whoa. All of a sudden, Jesus sees right through what human beings do. In relationships, we start owning each other, and folks, we don't. Human relationships are not about my son, or my wife, or my nephew, or my anything. Human relationships are about learning to love one another and having grace in how we treat one another. And then Jesus goes on to explain that life is not about possessing, but about loving. Because in Jesus' day, they had rules, and then they had rules, and then they had more rules, sort of like what we've done today. We come with rules and more rules and more rules, all the while trying to create something to give one person possession over something else, and in times, someone else. And so Jesus goes on to explain that relationships are not about possessing one another, but loving one another. Hear the difference? It's not about this is my child. It's about loving this child that God's entrusted to my care. It's not about this being my wife, but about entrusting am I being loving towards my wife. You can continue to take it to every relationship that we have. I was at a denominational meeting recently where I met our new bishop who's understanding that there's changes going on and there's churches that are going to be disaffiliating. And we've had meetings around here. There's another one coming up, and that's certainly something that's under a lot of discussion in this church. And she and I had an opportunity to exchange a few words, and she said to me, you know, Stan, how we treat each other is all that's going to be remembered in the end. Amen. Not people's positions, not where they land, but how we treat each other. Which got me to a text I received at 2 o'clock this morning. Be careful when the pastor tells you that. That means he changed his sermon. <laughs> it was from my dentist. And it said, reminder, you have another cleaning coming up. And that got me thinking. And I remembered a former dentist. And I remembered one day that I went into the dentist and I was going to have my tooth filled. And when I got there, the dentist said something that should have told me to run away. The dentist said, you are my last patient before my vacation. <laughs> to which I said, do you have time for my filling? Oh, yeah, we have plenty of time. And then the dentist started to to do the Novocaine and started talking to her and I was talking to her and just like this and he was asking me questions and I was answering your questions. 
And I had to do a little bit of drilling, and all of a sudden I heard the words you never want to hear in a dental chair. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. Uh-oh. It'll be okay. Now, I had Novocaine, so I didn't know what happened. Sorry, graphic warning. You know the drill that was supposed to hit the tooth? It slipped out of his hand and hit my tongue. Went, Shh. It was not fun, but it didn't hurt because I was all Novocaine'd up. Afterwards, he said, now I got one more thing to do, and he sews my tongue back together, and he goes, I got good news. I go, what's that? He goes, I got done early. I'm going to be able to catch my flight out of Boston. <laughs> I go, awesome. I have a new dentist. <laughs> but here's the thing. I didn't change dentists right away. And I didn't change dentists over that. Because when I talked to him, I realized my dentist genuinely felt bad about it. And I realized my responsibility was how I reacted. Not to get angry and not... Because, you know, there's times in my life where that can pretty much set me off. But one time in my life, in that moment, and with a follow-up visit, the dentist said to me, is everything okay? I said, yeah, we're fine, we're good. Do you know why I changed dentists? Because my insurance plan changed. Because here's what Jesus teaches us. Long after the tongue gets healed, long after all the problems we have in our life, it all comes down to how we treat each other. It's all about love. And if I see my former dentist, I have a clear conscience and we can talk to each other with no problems. Because we treat each other with love and kindness because relationships are about love. They're not about having everything go my way and do what I want. And then Jesus goes on and says, beware of false teachers. These teachers of religious law. Because they like to parade around in flowing robes. You see, the leaders of Jesus' day look great on the outside, but inwardly they only thought about themselves. Leaders today far too often make the same mistake. And somehow we can look at leaders and we can see what looks great on the outside or what doesn't look great on the outside, and we judge everything according to that. We look at how eloquent someone is in speaking, or we look at how big a ministry has gotten, or we look at how successful someone's been, and we see all the externals. We focus too much on what's on the outside, folks. And Jesus reminds you, if you want to hear the red letters, focus on people's hearts. Start looking at how people treat one another. Which gets me to another time I did devotions with a bunch of clergy. These were a bunch of Methodist clergy, and this was back in the 1980s. And I thought that day, I was, now you got to understand, I was a probationary pastor, which means I hadn't been ordained yet, but this really nice group of older clergy all invited me in to do devotions that day, and I thought it was a good idea to do a devotion on the recently disgraced ministry of Jim and Tammy Baker. Only I wanted to look at it from a different perspective. And so I shared this idea in the devotions. Remember, God used them to help other people. Remember when you make all your snide comments and all the stuff about the things that people think it's okay to ridicule a ministry that went down. Remember all the people who were helped by that ministry. That devotion did not go very well either. 
This time I had a whole room full of pastors arguing with me. Recently, I was thinking about Jim and Tammy Baker, and I went back and I read something about 1985, when Tammy Baker, two months after the president finally had used the word AIDS for the first time, did an interview with a man who was stricken with AIDS. His name is Stephen Peters. Now, here's what's amazing about Stephen Peters. He's still alive, which is a miracle. This man who was dying of AIDS back before any of the AIDS cocktail or any of that came out is still alive. And he's kind of funny. In an interview I read of him, he said, isn't it interesting? Tammy Baker's passed away. The president's passed away. Jerry Falwell's passed away. And I'm the guy who's supposed to die, and I'm still here. But that day when Tammy Baker interviewed Stephen Peters, she said these words. How sad that we as Christians, who are supposed to be the salt of the earth, we're supposed to be able to love everyone, are afraid so badly of an AIDS patient that we will not go up and put our arms around them and tell them that we care. Folks, that was profound. That was a window into somebody's heart. And Tammy Baker did put her arms around people who are suffering and dying from AIDS. And being in a family with somebody who died from AIDS and knowing how complex those times were, that made a huge difference. Stephen Peter says she literally saved people's lives and certainly saved relationships because she was speaking to people who were really not okay with what was going on in their society. And this woman boldly stood in front of people in national television talking to very conservative Christians who did not want to hear what she had to say. And she said it anyhow. And she said, that's a Jesus that I serve. He absolutely loves everyone. Folks, we got to look at the heart of leaders. Because there are leaders who are going to mess up, and we get that, and a lot of damage is going to be done. And there are also going to be leaders who seem like everything is great on the outside, but if you get to know them, they actually don't care about people. And Jesus says, it's not about how successful you are. It's not about how big of a flowing robe you can wear. It's not about how much you've been able to see somebody who looks so successful. The question is, are we willing to realize it's the heart that matters? How people love and care about others. Because those are the people that we should be learning from. Because Jesus wants our hearts to be transformed so we can love and care for others. Which takes us to his final red-letter statement. This poor widow has given more than all the others. Because one day Jesus was sitting at the temple and he was noticing with his disciples how people were putting money in. Only in those days it was different than we do today. We've got little offering boxes around. They had these things they called trumpets where these big brass things that looked like a trumpet and they had coins and they would put them in it and you would hear them jingle and bang and clang and the more that they would put in the louder it was and then if somebody gave a huge gift they would actually take out trumpets and they would blast it because the priests were like all of us who run any kind of religious organization if I haven't mentioned to you recently thank you for your contributions to Faith Community Church because we really do rely on your generosity and God changing your heart and helping you desire to give and support. Well, in those days, the way they did it was by making a big deal of anybody who gave a lot of money. And so people would make a big deal out of giving a lot of money. And then along came a widow with very little. 
She's, after all, one of the Bible's most famous people. She didn't have anything. She didn't, literally didn't have two nickels to, write, to rub together because we know the amount of money she gave is equivalent to two pennies. But she came up very quietly without any hoopla and put a little bit of money, all that she had, because she was thankful to God who loved her and worked in her life and wanted to help others. And Jesus stopped and he said, this poor widow is given more than all the others. Because the red letter message here is that money is a window into our soul. Whether we like it or not, how we spend our money, how we treat our funds, how others treat their money has far more to do with who we are as individuals than a lot of the other things. Because we can talk about all the other stuff all the time, but once we get to how we actually treat the resources that have been entrusted to us, we start realizing what's inside of us. And when people are generous because they want to be generous and we're genuinely thankful for God, we honor and bless that. But more importantly, in our own lives, we should not be looking for any kind of recognition or anything. We should simply be saying, Lord, help me understand on how I use everything that you've given to me to do it for your glory. So what do we do when we miss it? We've all been there. Times when we don't get it, when we look at life and we say, I'm missing something, let's go back to the red letters of Jesus. Because he has an awful lot to say about an awful lot of areas in our life, doesn't he? That helps us realize the reason we don't get it is because we get caught up in worldly, secular thinking and make all these other things so important. People's position, people's status, how much money somebody has, what resentment we have, how somebody's treated us, and all of that stuff gets in the way. We recently had a sports writer come here to Faith Community Church to talk about the Celtics. It was a great night for any of you who were there. We only talked about two things, the Celtics and writing about the Celtics. And Jared Weiss, who writes for The Athletic, which is now the largest sports publication, it's an online publication, it's been taken over by the New York Times, is a pretty decent sports writer. And he has even had articles that made it to the front page of the New York Times because the New York Times now owns The Athletic. And one of the things that we had a conversation with him about was about a guy who had been drafted number one a few years ago and his whole demeanor just changed. This guy was supposed to be this great next basketball player. To make it real, he was taken in front of Jason Tatum. And everybody thought that he was going to be the next big thing. And then about seven games into the season, the guy gets injured. And finally, when he comes back out of his injury, instead of shooting the ball like this, his, his shot was all off and he couldn't do anything. And anybody who saw him thought, man, there's something wrong. And Jared Weiss, the sports writer, said the guy had so much pressure living up to everybody else's expectation and being the number one draft choice and having that in his head and the expectations of the people who paid him and how much money he was making. And here's a kid who just came out of college and all of a sudden it just started getting in his head, sort of like life can get in our head sometimes, can't it? We start thinking about all that other stuff. And he said, so you know what he was able to do? They shut it all down for him and took him right back to the basics. And said, before you even want to think about being a great basketball player, let's just go back to the very basics of basketball and focus on that. 
and he's now in the NBA again, and he's playing well, and he's doing well, and he probably never will live up to being the number one draft choice, but he'll have a good NBA career. Because that's what happens in our lives. Everything starts getting jumbled, and we go different directions, and we start thinking about this, and we try to fix it here, and now we're upset over here. Let's get back to the red letters of Jesus. Let's get back to the red letters of Jesus. Because there's so many areas of our life that we need it. After all, everything, every earthly thing is temporary. Every earthly power is imperfect. <laughs> and relationships are really only about one thing. And what's that one thing? Say it with me. Love. Love. How we treat one another. How we love God and love others. And in the end, it doesn't matter how successful somebody is. It matters if they're a leader where their heart is and how they love and care about others. And when we get our minds all messed up about how much money we have or don't have or our savings or whatever, remember my dad saying to me one time, he said, you know, you're going to go to the point where you're just going to wait until you can save $10,000. And you're going to feel so good when $10,000 is in the bank. And you know what you're going to think? I need another 10000 He said, that's the human condition. And he said, if you make that your life's goal, you're not going to be very happy with your life. Because money is just a window into what's really inside of us. So when our lives get messed up and when we look all these other directions, let's just get back to the red letters of Jesus. Let's hear his perspective on our life. At the end of each service, we like to give people an opportunity to come forward for prayer. Simple question. Is there something other than God you're giving too much power to in your life? Is there something other than God you're giving too much power to? I invite the members of our elder team to come forward. If there's something that has gotten your life off-center or wacky, or maybe somebody else that you know, come forward and let us pray for you. Because life can be confusing. It can be difficult. And left to our own thinking and our own devices, if the best we can do is give a better version of what the world has to offer, that's not the way to live the Christian life. The Christian life is offered to us as a gift from God, where for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have life everlasting. And as we trust in Christ and follow the way that Jesus teaches us to live, we will discover that no matter how far off base we may get, that God will always bring us back. Let us stand together as